close your eyes. Okay, if you're driving, open your eyes. Don't close them. But if you're not driving, indulge me a little bit and close them. And try to think of a game score that defines a conference. If you're like me, the first score you think of is 9-6 to six LSU Alabama in 2011. That was that era of the SEC summed up in a nutshell. Now try to think of a Big 12 score that defines the 2010s decade. Or a Big 12 moment. Maybe not even necessarily a score, but a game. You could think of Tavon Austin rushing for 344 yards for West Virginia against Oklahoma and losing. You could make a really strong case for Patrick Mahomes throwing for, and I've seen this stat a million times and I still I just don't understand it. He threw for 734 yards on 88 passing attempts, five touchdowns, only one interception. He rushed for 85 yards and his team lost 66 to 59 to Oklahoma. But really, if you're trying to define the Big 12 of this era, there's one game you have to point to, and that's because both teams were really good. They were uh, national powers at this time. This wasn't two fluky teams kind of playing this crazy game. 61-58. It's a score you've heard a million times. This is the Big 12 Bullets Game of the Week, Episode 1. Ah, yes, the familiar sounds of Prince Polo bring you back to Bed Goods Big 12 Bullets, the podcast. But this time, we're focusing not on current events. We're looking back into the past to get us excited for what we hope is a Big 12 season this year. First of all, let me say the Game of the Week series has a sponsor, RevTown. RevTown Jeans, the best jeans you'll ever wear. I wear jeans when it's below 80 degrees. I will be wearing jeans. I wear jeans all the time. If I didn't live in Texas, I would wear jeans in the summer. But it's almost illegal to do that. Otherwise, I'm wearing jeans. These jeans are the best. The most comfortable jeans I've ever worn. RevTown was very kind to send me some jeans. And we will be working on a giveaway later in this series. So you can get some yourself because they're great. And you can go to RevTownUSA.com to check out the jeans yourself. Other, They also have other pants and clothes for men and women. And I am pumped to have RevTown Jeans as our sponsor. So let's get started. There's 10 weeks till the season starts, and we're starting our Game of the Week series with one of the most important games in the history of the Big 12, 61-58 Baylor against TCU. TCU fans, just hang on till next week. You'll get your revenge. But this week, we're talking Baylor. We're talking a lot of points. We're talking Bryce Petty, Antoine Goodley, Jay Lee, Katie Cannon, Shock, Linwood, Corey Coleman. And the list goes on and on. This was an offensive machine. They had Sean Oakman on defense. Their defense wasn't terrible. But this was an offensive machine. TCU, on the other hand, they had Trevon Boykin. At the height of his powers, they had Colby Listonby. They had BJ Catalan. They had speed. They had stars. This was going to be a high-scoring game no matter what. Although I don't know that anyone thought 61-58 would be the final score. I'm not going to break down the game play-by-play or anything like that here because we're here to talk to Chris Callahan. But I will set up our interview with Chris so you kind of understand what we're talking about. 
For a more detailed breakdown of the game, go to Big12Bullets.com and read the blog post or subscribe to the newsletter and you'll have that in your inbox. That breaks down the game, has some highlights, tells you what happened, kind of sets the scene a little bit more. If you want to see one key play broken down by video, go to the YouTube channel, that's also Big12Bullets, where you'll see the bad snap over puncher Ethan Perry's head and you'll see Sean Oakman throwing Perry to the ground, recovering the ball with one second left. And our buddy Chris Callahan runs out there and hits a field goal at the end of the half. And of course, we all know TCU ends up losing by a field goal. So you'll see that key play broken down on YouTube um, and you'll get the details of the game on the blog, Big12Bullets.com. But here we're just going to set the scene so we can jump into our conversation with Chris. It was a great conversation. Seems like a good guy. Really interesting um, hearing the, the memories of someone who recently played college football but is not He's not in the NFL or anything like that, so football's kind of in his past, um, which I think made it more interesting to hear about the ways that he still kind of uses the lessons that he learned in football to this day. So this game was not late in the season. It was actually October 11th. It was OU Texas weekend, but weirdly, this was the biggest game of the weekend. That kind of shows you where we were in this era of the Big 12. It was, of course, Art Bryles against Gary Patterson, and it was... The game everyone knew would come into play at the end of the season because there was no Big 12 championship game. So these are the two top teams in the Big 12. They're going to play each other. Presumably the winner of this game, if they win out, is going to win the Big 12. So that's why this game was so important for both teams. Obviously, they're also historic rivals. So TCU comes out, they're up 14-0. This is in McLean Stadium, a very early game in McLean Stadium, uh, the first season of, of McLean Stadium, actually. And so this was the first huge, huge game. Baylor hadn't trailed all season up to this point. They were 5-0 and and were just destroying people. Well, TCU gets out to a 14-0 lead. Baylor then comes back, makes it a close game around halftime when that snap goes over the punter's head and they kick the field goal. Baylor goes in down by four. Um... And so it looks like it's going to be a close game. TCU actually comes out after halftime and just blows the doors off Baylor uh, to the point where a pick six puts them up 21 points with 11 around 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. This game should have been over. Baylor then scored 24 unanswered points and a game-winning field goal by our buddy Chris Callahan put Baylor into the lead with no time on the clock. Game over. This should have won the Big 12 championship for Baylor. Unfortunately, as we also get into in the interview, Baylor lost the next week to West Virginia. Huge upset. So both teams ended the season with one loss. They were tied. There was no Big 12 championship game. They were just declared co-champions. The college football playoff just decided not to pick either one. And that's why we have a Big 12 championship game. Even though there's no divisions and all the teams play each other, that's why we have a Big 12 championship game because of this season. So this is a very important game, not just in a rivalry, not just for either one of these teams, for all the teams in the Big 12. So let's talk to Chris about what it's like to kick a game-winning field goal, what he's up to these days, and is he famous for any other moments in his career? Here's Chris Callahan. And we're here with Chris Callahan, former kicker from Baylor. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me on the show today. All right. So, uh, you know, this is uh, this might be a game that you remember a little bit, I imagine. Yeah, it's one that, uh, you know, my friends still talk about, my family still talks about more so than uh, I can admit. But, uh, you know, it's a game that everyone in Baylor history uh, – knows well uh with it's especially being the first 
happening in the first year at McLean Stadium. Yeah, that is a good point. So before we get into the game, give us a little bit of background about yourself. How did you end up at Baylor? Where are you from? And um, I guess tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, uh, so I was uh, I was from Houston, and I went to a small private school, Second Baptist School in Houston, and I was, you know, obviously recruited as a kicker to come to Baylor. Uh, it wasn't until a week before, a week or two before signing day, that I got that call from Kendall Bryles um, saying, hey, we want to bring you in. Uh, what do you think? And I was actually on my way to Las Vegas um, for like my final kicking camp because um, I had only had opportunities to go to UTEP to punt, um, and then I was essentially going to walk on at Ole Miss. And um, but I had opportunities um, all over um, to walk on, but nothing uh, really as big as Baylor, so to speak. Um, so whenever I got that call, it was a no brainer and I did my official visit the following weekend and I was, you know, in love, uh, from then on, uh, I graduated with the class of 99 students, about 25 of them ended up going to Baylor. (laughs) It was nice to have that friend group or, you know, acquaintance group uh, already when I went into uh, school. Um, I redshirted that 2013 season, which was uh, the Fiesta Bowl season with uh, Bryce and uh, Bryce Petty in his first year and uh, Lake Steve Strunk and some of those bigger names that uh, beat up on OU. Uh, not sure if you remember that, Scott. I, uh, I was there, and I do. We're not talking about that game. This is the TCU game. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah. So then, uh, 2014 season, um, is the first year at McLean and I started the season going one for six. Uh, I would, my first field goal I ever made were the first points in McLean stadium. And then I went on a nice drought as I headed into, um, October 11th or 14th or whatever of 2014, which was the TCU game, and uh, was had a touch of food poisoning that week. Had some bad Chinese food um, Thursday night, and <laughs> was still like not feeling 100% going into the game. So, you know, watching the Michael Jordan series uh, 30 for 30 recently, you know. I think back and I was like, wow, that's, that's my Jordan flu game. That's exactly what I was going to say. This is your Jordan food poisoning game. <laughs> yeah, right? So uh, just really enjoyed uh, that game. Obviously, it was a crazy one. And today, I am currently unemployed due to COVID. So um, I'm actively looking for opportunities and, and just, you know, staying above water and, uh, you know, just enjoying this time to kind of reflect and, and you know, build myself back up mm-hmm. uh, and just stay healthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. There are many people in the same boat as you. Maybe the right person will hear your name and uh, you'll get a call or something. No, no. Um, so going back to you said, you know, you, you'd hit this drought of uh, I think it was you said it was five straight misses. 
Had you ever in high school or anything like that ever had a, a situation like that? No, um, I've never experienced something like that. You know, five straight. That's just so much. It's, it's kind of like you got the yips, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, um, you know, I remember I had a, a mentor growing up um, and he kept re- reminding me of, you know, what is it? You know, you take a thousand, you just keep shooting. I think Michael Jordan had a, a drought at one point, and but you just don't stop shooting. You gotta eventually one's gonna go in, and then the rest are gonna follow. And so that's all we just kept talking about those those three or four weeks in between my misses and games, and and so it's just trying to battle through that and understand that you've got a, some teammates around you that are trying to build you up and uh, want you to succeed. So and coaches that want you to succeed and eventually it came uh, at the right time <laughs> right and and I wanted to talk about that element of it you have these misses but Baylor up to this point you know I was re-watching the the highlights of this game and when TCU scores to go to take a lead the announcer says this is the first time Baylor has trailed all season <laughs> So there's a difference between missing some field goals when you're dominating people and obviously missing field goals when it comes to a close game like TCU. Um, was that on your mind all week of like, how do you not sort of psych yourself up too much and psych yourself out to where you're like, I can't miss field goals this week. How do you kind of clear your mind and, and say, all right, I know how to do this. I've been kicking forever. I know what I'm doing. Um, so you don't get too psyched up thinking about a big game like TCU. Yeah. Um, so I think that was probably like, obviously but I said like my first time that I realized um, I'm playing at the big leagues and I was really like challenged. And I think obviously coaches kind of know, they always do know better than the players mm-hmm. uh, most of the time. And so that week I remember, you know, them throwing someone else in the mix to like say, Hey Chris, if you don't have a good week, like we're, we're going to bench you type of thing. And so, like, that's when I was like, okay, like, this is for real. Like, and I just remember just being on point all week. And I went and saw my kicking coach uh, up in Dallas um, pretty much every Monday um, on my day off so I could, you know, fix what I thought was wrong. But it was really just a matter of confidence Mm. um, and just working through it. So, Kudos to my coaches uh, realizing that I just need a little kick in the pants um, of competitiveness to like, hey, like this is for real. We need to get your stuff together so you can be on come Saturday. Um, Apparently that's all I needed. (laughs) And they've used that. They use that more and more in my career. And I slowly started to realize what they were doing. um, And it worked every time. So... (laughs) That's interesting because you hear about teams doing that and you're like, does that really work? But it sounds like it does. It does for me, yeah. Yeah, for certain people, I guess. Some some people don't like that. But talking about the, the whole team mentality, I mean, this is obviously – this is a good football team. Rewatching this game, I was like, oh, that guy, oh, that guy. They were all on the same team, you know, Norwood and Petty and Shock Linwood and, you know, all every single guy is like, whoa, I remember how good that guy was. This is a very, very good team who has not trailed all season. And then you're finally going into a big game. Did you feel anything different when 
kind of the first time you're sort of hit in the mouth, like they say, by TCU, that the TCU comes out and they take a lead. Did something feel different on the sideline or was there kind of a cool, calm, like, we got this uh, feeling? No, there really was. Like, okay, like, we've done this. We can do this. Like, it's not – it's 21 points, 20 points. Like, we can do that in three minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, we had all those weapons. You had – Antoine Goodley, Katie Cannon, Corey Coleman, Daly, Shock, um, Bryce. You had Seth Russell, who at that point wasn't a household name, but in the coming years was. And so it's just like you had all these different firepower um, that in any moment, at any moment, you could just release and they're ready to play. Um, you hear this a lot. Um, and it's, you know, next man up mentality. And I think that's how every single player that year took their job um, was, hey, we're one injury away from having to jump in there behind Corey Coleman, a Blitnikoff winner, or, or you know, Bryce Petty, who uh, had some a fantastic career at Baylor. You know, he's one injury away. And so it's uh, just always having that mentality and always being prepared. The, the one moment that really stuck stuck out to me that I totally forgot about, and of course you haven't forgotten about this, but um, the outside observer may have forgotten because of the craziness of the game. But right at halftime, Baylor's down by, I believe it's a touchdown. TCU has the ball at midfield. They don't convert a third down, and they decide to punt. And the, the snap goes so far over the punter's head. And you have Oakman in a dead sprint. He sprints down there, shoves the punter out of the way, grabs the ball, and there's one second left. And then you have to sprint onto the field. And I guess Baylor may have had a timeout, so you didn't have to, like, rush. But the idea is you had to then switch, you know, turn that switch in your head of, you were, were you thinking, I'm going into halftime, and now you have to think, i got to go make this field goal. How does that work in your mind? How do you, again kind of clear your mind, get ready for a field goal and, and make that. And did that really affect the psychology of the team going into halftime? You know, I, I definitely say it like changed the momentum um, a little bit coming out of half or going into half. Um, you know, it's obviously defeating to have to punt um, in such a tight game like that. So for them to snap it over uh, Ethan Perry's head and for, you know, Sean to go and get it, um, and for me to, I was thinking, oh, I think I was, when I was standing there, I think I was like down on the other end, like, oh, I'm about to trot in <laughs> into the tunnel. And then here I am, like, where the heck's my helmet type of thing. So, uh, yeah, you really just kind of have to like uh, think about it. You know, I think if you go back and watch the game, you'll see me like take a couple warm up kicks right before uh, we snapped the ball because I hadn't, I was, essentially cold so to speak and mm -hmm. uh so i had to do something and um that i remember vividly that how wonky of a ball it looked coming out of the air it was not even end over end it maybe made it just high enough to where you know no one could block it um and it was a short field goal but still uh it wasn't the prettiest things but i, I just remember thinking all right hey here we go this is second field goal you've made and now you're getting in a rhythm like let's keep this going type of thing so yeah you just kind of flip that switch and I think you know you're always learning I was a redshirt freshman so it always taught me to hey get in a rhythm throughout the game to stay warm so if we ever are in those types of situations 
um, you're ready to go and you don't have to have this ugly looking football trying to make it into the in the post. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a short field goal that you made that was important, but obviously there was a much more important uh, short field goal that you made at the end of the game when you kick the extra point to tie it after this huge massive comeback. Is that when the wheels start turning in your head of, oh, we have time and I think this might come down to me? Or do you try to block all that out? I'm just going to go get in the rhythm, make my practice kicks, and, and it'll sort itself out. Or do you start kind of playing out the scenario of, I might be able to, I might be making this game winning kick? Well, even, um, I think, so let's, let's take a step back here and you look back at that game and, at one point, we were three touchdowns down. You know, Bryce throws that interception that gets run back, and we're down 20, 21 points. Right, right, right. It's 11 minutes to go. And then, you know, we get three touchdowns just like that. And, you know, Corey catches that one for uh, right to tie it up, and I make the extra point. And at that point, I, I don't remember how much time was left, maybe three or four minutes and I was just thinking, okay, like we're fine. Like we're in this. I was thinking of more, not about me. I was thinking about, okay, how are we going to finish this game? Like, what do I need to do? Um, more so than, Hey, if it comes down to me, am I ready? I was thinking more about, you know, how, <laughs> let me help Bryce get warmed up. If I can catch any passes for him, like he's gotta, he's gotta get this done. And, then, you know, the fourth down, they failed to convert after um, TCU gets the ball. There's like a, less than 80 seconds on the on the clock. And that's when, you know, a few people, a few teammates come over and like, hey, Chris, like this is coming down to you. And for me, I hate people touching me or slapping me on the helmet um, during the game because I feel like, oh, like my balance gets thrown off and I'm just superstitious and uh, I hated just like people coming up and trying to touch me and all of this. So I'm trying to like block them out, block what's going on in my brain out with what I know is inevitably going to come down to it. Um, and so yeah, we drive that ball. Shock is just unreal with running the ball. Just unreal. And then we get that pass interference on TCU against Levi and, uh, we get down within, you know, the 20 yard line inside of, and I, it's just chaotic on the sideline at that point of just like this growing, um, I guess hype. And it's just like looming over the team. Like, okay, we know what's about to happen and what are we going to do when it does? And so, um, I trot out there for a short field goal and I guess the rest is history. Yeah. Do the coaches in that situation, do they ask you, hey, what hash do you want this on? Or do they come to you at all for this, anything? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like the left hash more because it gives me more room to work with from a right, right-footed right kicker. Um, I was more prone to hook a ball. Um, but given that instance, you know, you can line yourself up to where you can avoid stuff like that. Um, so left hash for me, was always where I wanted it. Um, and you know, they, they'd always asked me, you know, do you want us to take a penalty or this, that, and the other to back us up or 
any of that. I was like, no, let's just get this over with type of thing. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So obviously this is a short field goal. This is something you've probably done. Uh, I don't know, uh, thousands of times in practice and, and a bunch of times in games because of the situation did, does a short field goal play with your mind at all? Do you start think overthinking it or do you underthink it? I mean, is it kind of weird because it is such a, what would be considered easy for someone like you? Yeah. Um, no, I, for me, it's just, uh, another day, but yeah, don't get me wrong. Like it's obviously a, a monumental field goal. Um, given the status of that game, five or seven, both undefeated. Um, and so that definitely messes with you, but then you just get down there and you're just so confident in one, your ability, but also like, your operation from the snaps of the hole to the kick that it's not, there's nothing that can really mess with you when you're that short, uh, that short of a field goal. Um, we've of course seen that it happened before in the NFL and in college. Um, I can't say that it, uh, you know, <laughs> that crosses my mind, but you just have to be confident in your ability and know that you're going to do everything that you're incapable of and you're in power of and outside of that that's all you can do um right so i hate to say this but it's it's not necessarily the end of the world it's it's a football game but <laughs> it also was the end of the world um, so um you know i it created probably the best memory um probably top three memories from my time there yeah for sure what was it like so the kick goes in game over you're running down the field. Your teammates are mobbing you. I mean, what are those moments like afterwards? It um, was unreal. I remember doing the, the soaring plane. And <laughs> I felt, now looking back on it, like I was like, wow, you're such a weirdo. Like you kind of come, come up with such a better <laughs> celebration, like a windmill or a backflip if you could. Like, I don't know. I was, it was my celebration was so lame. Uh, but yeah, I get mauled and I, I remember getting just attacked at all levels and I am at the bottom of this dog pile and I don't know how many people are around me but I'm so fortunate that I have my helmet on because like it gave me room to like breathe rather than having my my head crushed uh, you know so I, I, I was knew I was going to be there for a second but at one point, I was like, okay, this is getting too much. So I started pinching people. Just like, okay, let's get up. <laughs> people started to move pretty quickly. And uh, so after that, uh, I got up. And I remember just, like, <clears throat> the the group of people around me, like, it somewhat, like, opened up, like, the Red Sea. And I remember seeing, like, some of my, like, three of my best friends, like, being at the end of that tunnel and them just all running towards me. It was, like, something out of a movie, but it was, like, the coolest moment. And so I've got these photos with some of my best friends, some of my fraternity brothers, and they're there. Then I've got my teammates around me, and it's just, like, an absolute chaos. And then I get lifted on the uh, on people's shoulders, carried off the field, and right before we go into the tunnel, like, I see my family – and it, that was just like an emotional uh, experience. And then we're in the locker room and it's just like madhouse. Like you would have thought, you know, everybody had just won the lottery. Um, <laughs> just 
you can't those are the types of memories like you just can't take away from anybody and that are just so special and I think that's really when um that team that year was like okay we have a chance to like take it all the way um and we thought that for about one week and then we went into Morgantown and uh, lost by two touchdowns. So, uh, it was such an awesome, awesome time. Yeah. Nothing like college football to bring you right back down to earth. So, uh, what was the night like, uh, after that in Waco? I mean, did you hang out with your friends or did you go out? I mean, did you, what what are your memories from that celebration? Yeah. So I was under 21, um, (laughs) at the time and, to keep it PG thirteen, I so first off, we had we have workouts every Sunday after games, and so that's brutal. I was thinking, you know what? Wouldn't it be so cool if I showed up the next day, like you know, at the top top of my game? I'm not going to do anything that would affect that. I'm going to come in, and they're just going to be like, "Wow, like this kid is legit." Like you know, it's in season. Like that's the type of mentality I had. Uh-huh. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything too exciting because I knew like after the West Virginia game, the following week is like we had a bye. So that's when I would go and do the celebration. Um, but I, I mean, I, I went out to parties that night and, you know, uh, just kind of enjoyed like <laughs> that moment of people just coming up and just like wanting to take pictures and stuff like that. But that was cool. Um, but nothing like you would see from the show like blue mountain state or anything <laughs> like that i was just trying to you know in and those types of things like i feel like you know you'll get humbled pretty quickly um and reality will set in and karma and all of that and so i just wanted to take that in and be in a somewhat of a sobering moment um to have those memories um and then i can you know the next week is kind of when you know, unleash a little bit when I know I don't have a game to prepare for. Right. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because yeah, it's these big celebrations. It's like you won the national championship, but you got to play again the next week. Um, that's gotta be so hard to get that mentality back and, and focus again. And I don't envy any coaches that have to convince a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds to get, get back focused. Right. Well, and it's like, you know, I just, like, I didn't deserve, like, yeah, I just made a kick, but, like, I'm, at that point, I'm 5 for 10, I'm, I'm shooting 50%, <laughs> and, and, like, I don't deserve to be celebrated, I didn't deserve to go out and, ha- you know, you know, do what college kids do, and um, I didn't deserve that, and so, like, I at least wanted to, you know, try and keep my body in, in the shape of, that I needed to, to go out and have another great game the next week. And I think the next week I had, I made two field goals. So I, I, it it worked out. So from that point, from those four kicks at TCU, I went 19 straight made field goals um, throughout the rest of the season. So, um, I really hit a hot streak from there on. Yeah. That is the amazing part about being a kicker. Like you said, you, you were five of 10 on the season, looking at it at that point, no one would say, oh, this this is a great kicker, but you make the one kick that wins the game. 61 points are scored. You make the one kick at the end, you're the hero. But if you miss that kick, everyone remembers you for missing that kick. I mean, that that's a, that's a very tough mental thing to deal with. I imagine you um, would, would say you're maybe 
a lot more mentally strong for having been a kicker in high pressure pressure situations these days um, than maybe a normal person your age. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's not to discount anybody else, but you know, you're just kind of cut from a different cloth and um, you just have to have tougher skin than a lot of other people. Cause you know, Bryce can go, you know, 25 of 35 and that's an awesome game for him. But Hey, if I go one for four on the day, like people are going to remember that. And um, they're going to call you names and they're going to have these towards sorts of feelings towards you. And um, you know, you're not always the most likable guy. And so um, you really do just have to have tough skin and, and take it one kick at a time and just always remain kind of in yourself and, uh, think that way more so than thinking, you know, I'm on top of this pedestal, which, you know, not that I, I, like I've been that way before and it's just, it's lonely up there. And so you just want to always, you know, be down to earth for sure. So uh, obviously this is, this is kind of the last question, but, um, you're a redshirt freshman. You make this huge kick. I imagine this is the thing that people remember you for still today but then you have a whole career in front of you. Um, but is that is this the moment that people still bring up from when you were a freshman? Now, are, is that a leading question, Scott? Because I'm not sure how much like you were like how much you dived into the rest of my. Chris, career. I just would like an answer to the question. <laughs> so no, that is uh, not the most memorable thing that people remember me by. What would that be, Chris? It is one of the memorable ones i uh i have my own gif um i was depleted on a uh field goal kick in the last 90 seconds of the 2015 cotton bowl against michigan state yes do you still feel effects from that um i think my girlfriend would say you know there's something still a little wonky in the brain i feel (laughs) great i I uh, did not have a concussion at the end of that game, surprisingly. Um, I don't know how. I think in if that game was three years later, we might have had a targeting. Oh, yeah. Um, and I just think about where that could have uh, led that game. So that, I mean, and Tony Lippett was a first or second round draft pick. So I, I like to like to claim that. And coincidentally, Scott, I'm not sure really how much you did dive into stuff, but I went on, uh, I was working in college athletics after college, and I worked at Michigan State um, in their fundraising department. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's great. So I um, had some really great time with some Michigan State alumni that loved hearing, you know, my side of it. Um and you know we laughed about it of course like it definitely helped me break down some barriers when when trying to raise money but uh it was probably yes it is something where baylor people know me by where i can walk out um down the street and if if they had done the research someone might recognize me i remember being um in nashville like six months later and i'm you know, sitting at, at this point I was 21, sitting at a bar 
and someone comes up and like taps me on the shoulder. I wasn't wearing anything Baylor related. And they're just like, Hey, are you that kicker that got depleted? Huh. And I was just, I just remember sitting here in a, in, honk, in a honky tonk bar in Nashville with my girlfriend at the time. And just like saying, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> and Man. That, that was like the moment where I was like, okay, TCU has kind of been overshadowed by this <laughs> incredible hit. Um, so it, you know, it's it's pretty cool, but definitely uh, a sobering moment, I guess. Yeah, that'll wake you up. Uh, I, I imagine that's the biggest hit you've taken, but as a kicker, did you take any other hits in your career, or was that kind of the only time? Because it was a blocked field goal, right? So probably yeah, didn't happen that often. Um, they, uh, we were supposed to call a timeout right before that. That's what I was told when we were trying out there, <laughs> and we didn't. Um, so... You know, they shot the gap and they split our guards and it was just like, oh my gosh, you got a first round draft pick and Shalik Calhoun, you know, right in front of you blocking this field goal. And then here's five foot nine, you know, a buck 85, you know, running after this first round draft pick <laughs> or, and just getting depleted by a first round draft pick. And so it was just like an unreal moment. Um, but yeah, it's. It's it's one that you know I will have hanging up in my my room in my or in my apartment uh, just that moment uh, just because it is so cool um, you know being a Cowboys fan and uh, having that type of uh, experience in AT and T Stadium and now going back to college games there and NFL games it's um, it's somewhat of like next marked spot. Um, that spot uh, of where I got hit, I'll get Snapchats and pictures from friends and be like, "Oh, this is where you know Chris died." Put an X and on the spot on the field. They they sure to rub it in, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, I, I'm glad you told me about. I didn't know about that, so um, I was just asking if that. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, "Oh, this is the same." Oh, yeah, yeah. I got all, all this. Yes, it's all coming back to me when I was. Yeah, this this is perfect. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you talking to me. Um, and uh, any other big memories or anything else from the game that we didn't talk about? Um, no, I mean, I think that pretty much covered everything. Um, you know, it was just an unreal, unreal game. Um, and, you know, it's one that I think Baylor Bear fans will always remember. Um for as long as they will and it's one that'll highlight McLean Stadium for all the years um, and so I'm just thankful for that opportunity and uh, to be a part of Baylor history in just a small way Record prediction for Baylor this upcoming season Dave Aranda's first season post-COVID um, I am so bad at this um, you know I would think a Eight and four year would be awesome, but also I think my dude Charlie Brewer is going to have an awesome senior year, and so um, I think they put it together for a good run at the Big 12 championship against your Oklahoma Sooners. All right, a little repeat of last year. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Chris, and uh, we will uh, be excited to see what you said was Baylor's going to be in the Big 12 championship, so we'll we'll all be watching.
Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Thanks again to Chris. That was a great conversation. You heard it here first. Baylor's going to the Big 12 championship game. He's got a lot of confidence in Dave Aranda in his first season. So I guess we'll just take his word for it. Now looking ahead to next week, TCU is going to get their revenge on Baylor for this game. And it's not exactly going to be 61-58. to It's going to be a lot lower scoring, a lot more sloppy, and kind of a lot more fun. Well, if you're neither one of the teams or any of the players on the field. And we did talk to a player on the field for TCU. I'm going to keep that under wraps, and you're going to find out next week who that is. He made a very key play for TCU, and he talks about all the stuff they had to deal with, with the rain and the cold and what halftime was like and all of those things next week here on the Big 12 Bullets Game of the Week series brought to you by RevTown. Oh, yeah, questions.